Everyone loves an underdog story, and I know that I'm a sucker for them. And in every competitive TV reality show that I watch, I am rooting for the person who people feel the least confident in. There's one underdog who really sticks out in my mind as I think about this. Her audition was the top-watched YouTube video of 2009 with 120 million views. A woman walked out onto the British Got Talents stage. You know, here at Genesis, if we get to reference the UK or anything from Britain, we're going to take that opportunity. <laughs> you know, she, she does not look like the next pop star. She comes out with her simple gray curled hair, her dress and her little heels. People look at her and they don't think this is the next one. Her Simon Cowell asked her her age and she says 47. And the camera flashes to the judges' faces already doing their job of judging. Simon asks her, so what's your dream? And she says, I want to be a professional singer. They flash to the audience, and you can already see their disbelief, and they already have counted her out. When she opens her mouth, though, all of the people who had these thoughts about her were proved wrong. Her voice was powerful. Her voice was nothing you've ever heard of before. And this is Susan Boyle, who has an amazing career that she has today, even when everybody looked at her and didn't think that she would become anything. These underdog stories have a way of capturing our hearts. You know, underdogs are looked over and treated unfairly. We root for their success because we feel connected to this person. We relate to their feelings and experiences. The fact that we even have like this internal dialogue that draw us to these stories proves that we have created a world that labels people as somebody's and nobody's. The haves and the haves nots. The in crowd and the out crowd. The rich and the poor, the powerful and the weak, the controllers and the controlled, the popular and the unpopular. We have been indoctrinated that this is the way we were destined to live. Our movies and TV shows, they depict this power struggle. Our social media, it encourages it. The dynamics in our schools, it pressures children to act in line with this created hierarchy. And it's a major factor contributing to bullying and the systemic advantages that we have. In our workplace, we all feel that pressure to remain a somebody and to appear as a somebody. We have created this world that labels people as somebody's and nobody's. And maybe you can think back through your life and feel those moments where people have made you feel like a nobody. Some of you might have, you know, stories coming into your mind right at this moment. Instances where you were put down, you felt ashamed, and had low self-esteem. 
when we're honest, we can realize the moments where we too have made others feel like nobodies. Through our actions, lack thereof, or through our words. We have contributed to the cycle of somebody's and nobody's. Well, if you can relate to anything I've just said, we are glad you're in church this morning because we believe that God has better for us. He does not promote this system that we have created. That is why we're in this series, Nobody is Nobody. We have the opportunity to see people and ourselves the way that God does. The truth is, nobody is nobody. Roger, he shared our focus verse um, in week one of this series from Acts 17, 25. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And if God gives everyone life, breath, and everything else, then we are lacking nothing. He is our source of life and acceptance. There is no person on this earth that is a nobody to our God. Every person has a purpose and a story that were instilled by him. Truly, nobody is nobody. And this week, we're going to continue to look at the stories of people in the Bible who we don't hear much about. Some of them, they don't have names, and some of them have names that we don't hear of often. But their lives matter to God, and their life experiences teach us. So, Jesus, he had just gotten out of some heated conversations with the Pharisees, who were the religious teachers of the time. They were disputing Jesus over the validity of his testimony, over his identity, and over Jesus' claims. It got to the point where the leaders were so angry that they started to pick up stones ready to stone him. But before that happened, Jesus and his disciples they went off. As they were walking, they came across a man who was born blind. The man knew what it felt like to be treated by the world as a nobody. His whole life was marked by hardship and trial. During that time, the people who saw him wondered what sins he must have committed in the womb to be born blind. His livelihood, it depended on the money that he could collect as he begged on the corner. No matter what this world thinks or tells us, nobody is nobody. So let's learn from this man's story today. The first thing that we look at is seeing before believing. Seeing before believing. Verse 9, I mean 9, verse 3 through 7. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent him. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, 
I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with saliva. He put it into the man's eyes, and he said, go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This means sent. So he, the man went, washed, and he came back seeing. His neighbors and his family who saw him were shocked. You know, how could this man who was born blind, who was begging for years, come back having sight? And they asked him, he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. This man received sight before he believed in Jesus. His sight was a pure gift. He did not earn it through his social or economic status. His good looks or crafty language did not persuade Jesus to heal his eyes. He never even laid eyes on Jesus or said one word to him. He had it because Jesus came to him and decided to give it to him. The world that we live in expects that we can prove that we are worth it, that we earn what we have. You know, you go into the store, you pick out the things that you know you can afford, and you purchase them. You earned that food that you got. Or when you go to buy a house, and you need a house loan, they don't just give it to anybody. The bank does everything in its power to make sure that you are a reliable person, that you have the funds to make a down payment, that you have a job that will allow you to afford what you are purchasing. So when it comes to our relationship with God, we approach him expecting to have to show that we can earn his love and relationship with him. But God's economy does not work like this. This man, he received physical sight before he believed in Jesus. Jesus deeply cared for the man, and he had compassion on him before this man ever did anything for him. Let's apply this to our lives. Jesus cares for you. Before you ever believed in him, he was making a way for relationship with you. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you only hear one thing that I say this morning, it's that you don't have to earn God's love. You only need to receive it. God's love is genuine. It's not self-seeking. It's not dependent on your actions. You do not have the power to change God's love for you. You know, this man's experience of physically seeing before believing crushes the pressure that we have put on ourselves to earn love and attention from God. The pressure of earning is what keeps us away from relationship with him. We will never feel good enough. But when we reject this way of thinking, we are able to know that God desires to know us. 
and we are able to let down our guard to get to know him. The lies of performance and pride are no longer our justifier. Jesus is. When we experience this preposterous love, the natural response is to love and to care for others around us just the same way. We treat others like Jesus would. We don't require anything. We're able to love out of the overflow of his love for us. Our food outreach, which we talked about this morning, is the perfect example of this. They meet the physical needs of their clients first. And it's beautiful because this leads to them being able to meet the emotional and social needs of their clients. And our greatest hope is that one day we will get to meet the spiritual needs of our clients. Because Jesus' love is holistic. It, he cares about the whole person. Meeting their physical and social and emotional needs are exactly what Jesus would do. Because this seeing before believing leads to seeing Jesus' identity, which is our second point for the day. We know that this man did not know a lot about Jesus. When he's asked by his neighbors, how did this happen? What he replies is that some man named Jesus restored his sight. He had no idea where he was or anything more about him. All he knew was he was once blind and now he sees. So we get to see how this man comes to the point of seeing Jesus's identity. One thing in this passage that we'll see in a moment is that it's continually asked, how? How did you receive your sight? And each time he tells his story, a little bit more of Jesus' identity is clear to him. The neighbors who first asked him how he received sight brought him to the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, they were concerned because this man who healed him, healed him on the Sabbath and in a way that required work. So they asked, how? How did you receive your sight? And he told them in John 9, 17. Then they turned again to him, to the blind man, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man said, he is a prophet. The Pharisees, they're feeling concerned. You know, someone doing the things that God would do would give them a threat to their power. So they called for the man's parents, and the man's parents come, and they point to the man and say, is, are you sure this is your son? And they're like, yes, that's him. And then the Pharisees go one step further and they say, are you sure he was born blind? And they say, yes, he was. So they ask the parents, how did he receive his sight then? But the parents reject to tell the Pharisees how this man received his sight because they were afraid. They were afraid because they thought that they could be excommunicated from the synagogue. You see, they lived in a world similar to us, where people were labeled as somebodies and nobodies. The Pharisees, they used their power to make people fearful of losing connection with community and with God. So they pressured the man again, telling him to tell the truth, 
because they think that Jesus must be a sinner. And he says this, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. You know, the, the interaction gets hostile at that point. They ask again, how? They said, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And the man, he must have felt frustrated at this continual questioning. And this is what he says, I've told you over and over, you have not listened. Why do you want to hear it again? Are you so eager to become his disciples? It's comical, honestly. With that, they jumped all over him. You might be a disciple of that man, but we are disciples of Moses. We know for sure that God spoke to Moses, but we have no idea where this man comes from. The man replied, this is amazing. You claim to know nothing about him, but the fact is he opened my eyes. It is well known that God isn't at the beck and call of sinners, but listens carefully to anyone who lives in reverence and does his will. Someone, that, that someone opened my eyes of a, of a blind man, a man born blind, has never been heard of, ever. If this man did not come from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. They said, you are nothing but dirt. How dare you take that tone with us? Then they threw him out on the street. This man was being interrogated. And it reminds me of criminal justice shows where they ask the person, the suspect, over and over, basically the same question because they want to reveal more of the truth. And that is exactly what happened here. Through the telling of his story, more of the truth is revealed about Jesus' identity. First, first, when his neighbors asked him, he was just a man, some man who healed him named Jesus. Then when he's asked again, he knew that this man must be a prophet. When he tells a story again, he realizes that this man is from God. And as he's thrown out of the synagogue, he recognizes Jesus as the Son of Man, the Messiah that was promised to him. Even some of the Pharisees, they started to jump on board because they knew that only God could make a man born blind see again. They knew the scriptures. Healing the blind man, it fulfills prophecies that were given to Isaiah of the coming Messiah. In Isaiah 29, 18, it says, In that day the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of the gloom of darkness the eyes of the blind will see. Isaiah 42, 6 through 7 says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open the eyes that are blind, to free the captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. 
Jesus was doing the things that only God could do. John's gospel, it focuses on revealing Jesus's identity. And the man saw Jesus's identity. Jesus wants you to see his identity too. The man who saw Jesus was who the man saw who Jesus was when he was talking about his life and about his experience receiving sight. When we tell our story, we can see how God has been involved in our journey along the way. How God has been faithful to us through our hardest times in our lives. You might also see Jesus' identity when you hear someone else share their own story. Their lives testify to who Jesus is. Jesus' identity is also revealed to us through the people who are in your lives. The people who are sitting next to you, you can see Jesus in the way they live and how they treat you. My encouragement is that we take time, you know, to open our eyes to the ways that God is at work in our lives around us. Because ultimately, it will, see to, it will lead to you and others seeing Jesus's identity. Our last focus is that believing is seeing for eternity. Believing is seeing for eternity. In verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and went and found him. He asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man said, point him out to me, sir, so I can believe in him. Jesus said, you're looking right at him. Don't you recognize my voice? Master, I believe, the man said and worshiped him. Ironically, this is the first time this man is physically seeing Jesus. But the man did not only receive physical sight, but spiritual sight when he professed faith and belief in Jesus. Jesus continues and says, I came into the world to bring everything into clear light making all the distinctions clear, so those who have never seen will see, and those who have made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. Some Pharisees overheard him and says, does that mean you're calling us blind? Jesus said, if you were really blind, you would be blameless. But since you claim to see everything so well, you're accountable for every fault and failure. The Pharisees, they believed. They believed that they had sight of who God was. They thought they knew what was right and how to live and how to know God. When Jesus said this, they wondered, you know, is Jesus calling me blind? You know, you might have heard the phrase, seeing is believing. Okay, it's like the opposite of what I just said. Seeing is believing. And this phrase, you know, it means that you have to see something before you believe it is true. The Pharisees, if they believed in this way, they saw the Messiah. They saw what Jesus was doing, but they still did not have belief. 
they continued in their way of thinking. You know, think about our physical sight for a moment. For most people, it fades as time goes on. You know, you have 20-20 vision in your 20s, and then once you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you're getting reading glasses. It's a new thing. Our physical sight, it fades over time. One day, physical sight will do none of us good. Believing is truly seeing, because our belief in Jesus will last us into eternity. You know, we are all born into this world in need of spiritual sight. There is not one person who will escape the fate of physical death. But there is Jesus who conquered death and three days later rises again. And when we put our belief in him, we too will be seeing for eternity. Believing is seeing because it's not putting our hope in ourselves or what is physically seen, but in the eternal Jesus. You know, the, pro the problem for the Pharisees was that they could not see their need for Jesus. You know, they're too focused elsewhere. We have the opportunity this morning to see our need for Jesus and put our belief in him so that we can see. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says this, Therefore, we do not lose hope, heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. It's easy to get caught up in what we can see. The things that we, uh, we work for and the stresses and troubles of our lives, you know, they don't seem like momentary struggles. But one day, the, the material things of this world will be no more. The drama with the friend, you know, that will fade away into the past. The knowledge that you've stored up here on earth, it won't even matter. It will all fade away. The one thing that won't is the eternal glory with Jesus. So what, what should we do? We should do what it says in verse 18. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We do the things that Jesus would do. We love the people who are in front of us and we serve them. We look for ways to better the world around us. We give our worries to God, trusting that he is faithful through it all. We spend time with God. We get into our words. We get to know him. We have a relationship with him because believing is seeing for eternity. As I conclude, you know, we hear from this man today who is not a nobody because nobody is nobody. He taught us what it means to be seen and loved by God before we profess belief in Jesus, seeing before believing. 
He shared his journey to realizing that Jesus is the Messiah, seeing Jesus's identity. And he taught us to realize that eternal sight is found in putting our belief in Jesus. Believing is seeing for eternity. His journey undoubtedly made people around him consider Jesus was the Messiah. Let me welcome up the band as I close this in prayer. Jesus, we thank you so much that you saw this man and he was a somebody to you. God, I pray that we would know that you were fighting for a relationship with us before we ever put our belief in you. God, I pray today that we would see your identity and your character more clearly today. And I pray, God, that everyone in this room would accept you, God, to see for eternity. In Jesus' name.